Thank you. Good morning. Well, here we go then. Part three of our sermon series together entitled My Big Fat Mouth. What a title that is. Really, Luke has prepared the ground way for me very well. We've heard a sermon on criticizing and complaining. So whatever words I say this morning, you can't criticize or complain. But we have explored together the significance of our words, that our words have the power to build others up as well as tearing others down. So far, Luke has questioned our tendency to use our words to criticize or to complain. Together, we've asked, when we complain, how can we change our perspective about our circumstances? And in the midst of criticizing, will we choose to be faith um, builders or fault finders? In both of those cases, we're reminded of the words of Jesus, where he says, for out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. Or the proverb that says, everything we need to do, we need to guard our hearts because everything we do flows from it. So this morning, as we think about lying together, in the same way we thought about criticizing, in the same way we thought about complaining, what, how does this describe the state of our hearts? I'm imagining this morning that this sermon will provide and provoke some great conversations for lunchtime later as we explore stories of where we might have lied. But I think at the start of a sermon on lying, we need to have a pact together to be honest. You might think that, well, the person here this morning that says they don't have a problem with lying is probably lying. The challenge is, on average, apparently an average person lies four times a day. And even more specifically, a study in the universe, from a university in America states that a single person, on average, can't meet a new person that they've never met before and have a 10-minute conversation without including one lie. I've been here five months. I've met a lot of new people. But a person can't go... <laughs> a person can't go more than 10 minutes when meeting a new person, potentially, without lying. Now, I know what you're thinking already. If you've got an analytical brain like mine... What con constitutes a lie? What constitutes an average person? Potentially, you're trying to make some wriggle room for how can we get ourselves off the hook? I don't lie, Zoe. Perhaps I just exaggerate the truth a little bit. I don't lie. Potentially, I just embellish my stories to make them more interesting. I don't lie. Maybe I just fabricate or change a few details every now and again. Maybe I don't lie. I just let my emotions have more volume than the truth. But we all do it. And I think at the start of our, think, our thoughts on this theme today, we need to potentially admit that we may lie multiple times a day. When Luke asked me to preach uh, on this theme of lying back in December, my honest reaction was, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to have to share some stories of where I potentially lied and this has been fairly problematic. You, potentially over the last five months, you've built up this, uh, I don't know, ca character or persona of who you might think I am. And this is going to come crashing down as I share a few stories with you. And the one I will share, I just want to caveat with, I was 16 years old, so a few, a few years ago now. And I was working uh, as a waitress um, for a pub which was in a local village uh, to where my family farmed. And I used to work on a Sunday morning uh, as 
helping with the Sunday carvery. And when I got this job, it meant that I couldn't go to church with my family on a Sunday morning. So I used to go to the pub, uh, to the, sorry, to the church neighboring the pub that I worked at for half an hour. I used to go and sing a few songs, hear the children's talk, and then leave halfway through the service to go down to work. And two years later, I actually became the swim trainee for that church and worked for them for four years as their children and families worker. And half the church knew me as the girl that used to leave the service halfway through to go to the pub. So that was my starting point. But I tell you that backstory because it's important to understand that those that I worked for at the pub, the owners of the pub or my bosses, knew that I went to church every week, knew that I went to church before I even came to work for them. So my inability to be dishonest or to be honest with them uh, was problematic. Now, the first time I worked for them, I got to the end of my first shift and it was going quite well and I'd learnt lots of new things and I was picking things up and as we were going towards the end, they asked me a question and they'd got to know me quite well that morning. They knew that I grew up on a dairy farm, they knew I went to church and that pretty much sums me up. And they said to me, Zoe, would you like to take home all the meat from the carvery, all the bones, all the scraps of meat uh, for your dog? You must have a dog, you live on a farm. And that was quite a, a legitimate question, but in that moment, I should have just said, thank you so much, that's so kind of you, but we don't have a dog, so no thank you. But instead, I said, yes, thank you, that would be great. So for the next two years, <laughs> I took home all the scraps of meat from the carvery and all the bones for this dog that my family didn't have, but it got worse. So the, all the other colleagues that I worked with, the three other waitresses, they knew that I lived on a farm. Two of them lived on a farm themselves and all had dogs, but used to volunteer me to take the meat home every week. So I'd be washing up or I'd be doing another job when they'd come to me and they'd say, would you like to take the meat and the bones home? And obviously I'd have to continue with this lie and it kept on going. But one week the chef asked me, and the chef was the boss, my boss's wife, asked, asked me, uh, what's the name of the dog that you have? Or, but first of all, I started with, what type of dog do you have? And my auntie and uncle at the time had a Jack Russell, so that was the first that came to mind. So I said, I have a Jack Russell called Jack. And she looked at me and she said, you would think on a dairy farm you would have like a collie or a sheepdog. And I replied saying, you would have thought, like that would have been a much better reaction. But actually, in my two years of working there, my family did get a dog. So, so to complicate things even more, one week in my excitement, I shared a picture of the puppy that we had. And I thought this morning, to tell you that I am telling the truth, here is a picture of the dog that my family does have. We do now have a collie called Max. But I showed her this picture of our puppy Max, and she said, lovely, how's Jack finding it? And I was just like, <laughs> literally, this just got worse and worse, to which I replied saying, sadly, he died, and we've replaced him. And it was just awful. So again, you're getting this real picture of me this morning. But why I share that is because this lie got bigger and bigger and more and more complicated, and it was humorous at the time for my family and friends. My family hated it. I'd come home with this meat and bones every week, stink the kitchen out because I put them in the bin and it was this awful story but how quickly things escalated and my kind of starting question as we think about this theme of lying is why is it so easy for us to lie and is it a big deal I was one of the only few people in this uh, working environment that was a Christian and yet my actions in this instance wasn't integral in the one hand I was answering their questions about faith telling them about the church service that I'd just been to prior to work. And on the other hand, I was accepting meat for a dog that I didn't even have. 
So is lying a big deal? And why do we lie? So I lie to cover up my insecurity or my inability to say no. I lie to cover up the lies that I had previously told. We might lie to make ourselves feel better. We might lie to avoid conflict. Actually, I'm fine. We bury our problems and then later on, they might rear an ugly head. We might lie to get away with something, to shift the blame towards others. Or sometimes we might lie with good intentions. When a friend of ours asks, how does this top look? Or do I really have a problem with complaining or criticizing? We're not called to speak the truth harshly to others, but we're called to speak truth in love. And I think we're all aware this morning that that there is a difference. I think another lie that we often commonly share, and maybe it's British culture or maybe it's church culture, is when others ask us how we are. I'm fine, thank you, or I'm really good, thanks. When we're being really honest, we're probably not. I had this a few weeks ago, actually. I was at Toddlers, and one of our lovely church mums came and asked me how I was and asked me how my Christmas was. And I said, I was great, thank you. It was so nice to be home. And she replied saying, Zoe, I was at the prayer meeting on Monday night. I know that your dad is in hospital. And I was like, oh, you do, then maybe I should be honest. Sometimes it's easier to be dishonest with people because we don't want to be held accountable or we don't want to let people in, to let them too close. So we have to be vulnerable with them. We lie to gain for ourselves because we are selfish, sinful beings. We lie because we are prideful. And the truth of the matter is, it does make a difference to ourselves and those around us. Proverbs 12 verse 22 says that the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights over those who tell the truth. The Lord detests lying lips, but delights over those who tell the truth. How strong is that? Growing up, our mum would never let us use the word hate when we were having an argument with our brother or my two sisters because she was like, that's such a strong word. You don't actually hate them. Right now, you dislike them. But we get the strength of this word. Uh, God detests those who lies. In the original Hebrew, when we understand that, we get the strength of what it's saying here. It translates as disgusting or abomination or to make someone nauseous. So we get this metaphoric image of God who is being repulsed by our words when we use them to lie. That This idea of God potentially being sick at the thought of the words that we share. Where at the opposite end of the picture, we get the image of God delighting over those who tell the truth. Now this gives us a helpful context to the words that Pete's already read to us. Where Jesus at this point, as he spoke those words, had reached Jerusalem. So the opposition that he was facing, the questioning that he was facing, is being escalated by this point. And Jesus is in a dialogue, he's teaching at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and he's being opposed and he's being questioned. And there's an evidence of them trying to trap Jesus in his words. So we've had read to us that Jesus responds, and you can almost see his thought thought pattern working through. The devil is your father, The devil is a murderer. You are seeking to kill me, to accuse me, to trap me with your words. Therefore, you must be the devil's child. And Jesus continues in his words to talk about the characteristics of the devil. He says he does not hold truth. There is no truth in him at all. When he lies, he speaks his native language. The devil is a liar. He is the father of all lies. 
Jesus couldn't be any clearer on the nature and character of the devil. Point number one this morning is that lying is the devil's native language. When we lie, we speak or we adopt the devil's native language. The phrase I get when I read those verses is like father, like son. I want to share a picture of my brother and my dad walking together on our farm. This was taken a couple of years ago before we sold our cows. And I love this photo because it shows the similarities between my brother and my dad. And my brother has some great characteristics that he's evidently got from my dad. They're quite similar in their mannerisms. They speak quite similarly. But just because my, brother's, my brother is my dad's son doesn't mean that he's going to follow in his every move. When we sold our cows, the questions that my brother got at the farm sale, uh, why aren't you going to follow in your dad's footsteps or didn't fancy milking then, son? There's this character, especially growing up in a, in a farming environment, that the son will follow the exact moves of the father. But when we think about these verses that Jesus uh, talked about, we must ask ourselves in the same way. When we think about the words that we use, what language are we speaking? Whose language are we speaking? Do our words bring life, truth, and freedom? Or do our words give an integral message about who we are and who we belong to, or a conflicting one? Whose mannerisms or characteristics are we adopting? My words as a waitress gave a conflicting message. On the one hand, I was sharing with them how I felt God was talking to me about not going to university and, and going into youth work. And on the other hand, I was accepting meat for a dog that I didn't have. Jesus tells us that the enemy's mandate, the enemy's mission now and still now, is to steal, kill and destroy, but affirms that he came to bring life and life in all its fullness. Lies have the ability to steal, to kill and destroy our relationship with God and our relationship with those that we trust. Right back in Genesis 3, we get this understanding where we see sin enter into the world. And we also see the, a char- the character of who the devil is. Genesis 3 verse 4 says, You won't die, the serpent speaking to Eve, if you eat from the tr- tree of life. Yet we know the ultimate consequence of sin is death. We learn from the Garden of Eden that sin thrives in an environment of darkness and lies. When we lie, we are attempting to hide something about ourselves, to cover up something that we don't want others to see. Dallas Willard, a famous author and writer who writes a lot of books about spiritual formations and disciplines, once said that almost all evil deeds start with the intention or the thought, how can this be hidden by deceit? All Evil deeds start with the intention, how can I cover this up? And this morning, I believe God is asking us, why are we trying to hide? Who told you that you needed to hide? We must recognize the enemy's tactics. Peter tells us to be alert and have a sober mind because the enemy, um, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. How can we be alert? Or how can we be um, aware of the enemy's game if we're unaware of his tactics? If we're unaware of the enemy's language and if we're unaware of the enemy's game? I believe part of discipleship is recognizing how different God's kingdom is to God's 
to the world that we currently live in, recognizing how different um, God's truth is to the lies of the enemy, recognizing the difference between a lie and a truth. If we recognize this morning that the enemy is the father of lies, then we shouldn't be surprised when he tries to lie to us. How does the enemy lie to us? I believe this morning that the enemy's lies can be categorized in three ways. With the aim to immobilize us in fear, to stop experiencing life in all its fullness that God has for us. Lie number one, I don't know if you can relate to this or uh, appreciate this, category one. You're never going to make it. Don't get your hopes up again. The way you are is the way you will always be. You are never going to find freedom. Lie number two, you're not good enough. You're not worthy of God's love, God's freedom, or God's healing. Or lie number three, maybe you can relate to this one. Everybody is against you. They're all talking about you. You are on your own. The the enemy plans to get us to adopt those lies in our life. So part of being alert and having a sober mind is recognizing the source of the lies and who they are coming from. So if we're speaking this morning about lies being the devil's native language and about how we lie, we're adopting that language or how we may be adopting the enemy's lies in our life, then what is our route to freedom? Point number two this morning is we need an encounter with the truth. As simple and as basic as it might sound, we need an encounter with the truth to dispel the lies that we might say or the lies that we might believe. Paul writes in his letter to the Ephesians, these words describing how we are to to live as children of light after hearing and meeting the truth in Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 21 starts by saying this, since you have heard about Jesus, and have learned the truth that comes from him. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let's tell our neighbours the truth, for we are all part of the same body. So we're going to think about these words for a moment and then we're going to explore the life of two characters in the Bible before we end by thinking about how honesty starts and propels growth. But Paul starts by saying, you have seen Jesus, you've heard about the truth, you've learned from him. He is the way, the truth and the life. So throw off, cast, dispel away your former life, which is corrupted by deceit, by lies. And I think the key word this morning is that instead, we have a physical choice to make after meeting and encountering Jesus, the truth, to let the spirit renew us, our thoughts and our attitudes, so that we can put on our new nature. He then goes on to give that specific example, so stop telling lies, because we're all part of one body. What can we take from that? Lying divides. But when we choose to be ambassadors of the truth, that's when unity works. We get this clear picture of the old, the former life, an encounter with the truth, and then this resulting journey of working out what it looks like to put on our new nature. But if you're anything like me this morning, you're screaming, that's really difficult. 
It's just not that simple. I struggle to leave behind my former way of life. I get impatient and despondent about where I'm at. And this sermon series isn't aimed at making us feel like we're bad Christians because we criticize, we complain, or we might lie, but rather to demonstrate we're all on this discipleship journey together, where God in his love and in his grace chisels away at us. He molds our character and our heart, and we can be transformed. We see it all over scripture. You don't have to delve that far, even in Genesis alone, to see the lies and the deceit that is entwined in our story of redemption. What is significant to see is how God responds in light of those lies and deception. Let's briefly look at two characters together, two examples of where God um, changes the character, where we're introduced to these two characters, which literally described as them being deceivers, manipulators, and cheaters. Let's take Jacob first, for instance, who was a liar who lived up to his name. His name literally meant to grasp at the heel. Figuratively, he deceives. He stole his brother's birthright and blessing by probably one of the most elaborate lies we see in the Bible. He uses goatskin props um, and his brother's clothes to receive his father's blessing. Yet incredibly, God shapes this liar, this cheater, this self-reliant, unlikely hero, and uses him to bring about his promise of a nation and a people that are going to be devoted to him. As Jacob encounters God at first in a dream and then later face to face, he is changed to become Israel, a man worthy of founding a nation. But what Jacob gets right is that he wrestles and he struggles with God. He was changed by encountering God personally. But what Jacob models to us so well is that this is going to be a process. It's not a one-off encounter with the truth that changed him, but a continual wrestling and struggling with God because he was in need of God. This will be a process that we will wrestle with. But equally, when we look at the life of Zacchaeus, my second example, we sometimes realize that our lies and our actions will need an immediate response. Now, we're all familiar with the story of Zacchaeus, the tax collector who was incredibly unpopular with the crowds. And you can tell that by the gospel's reaction as his story, as Jesus invites himself over for dinner, is, is, is played out. Yet what happens after meeting Jesus is he says that he wants to put right his actions of wronging others. He gave away half of his possessions to the poor, and he gave back four times the amount of money to those that he'd lied and cheated to. So what Jacob and Zacchaeus teach us and model to us so well is that God, when he renews and transforms us, this will be a process, but it's a process that still requires action. We have choices to make about the words that we use. We need to be active truth seekers. We're not called to be passive in this journey of discipleship. We won't suddenly stop lying if we hang around church or we hang around Christians. We have an active role to play. So where does this leave us this morning? My third and final point is that all growth starts with honesty. You can't move forward with God or move forward in life without this basic principle that we need to be honest about where we're at, wherever that might be. All growth starts with honesty. You need to take a stock of where you're at 
in order to take your next steps forward. Over the last few months, God has been speaking to me personally, and I've been going on this journey of becoming more self-aware. I've been reading multiple books about how you lead and examines life, how to recognize what our blind spots are, the areas of our life that are our weaknesses, our shortcomings, and how might God might work with those with us. There's this connection between us becoming more aware of who we are that propels us to meet a God that we know that we are in desperate need of. Often this is deep and this is painful, but sometimes it's not until we realize where we're at that we realize and can be encouraged that that's the starting point for growth. When we lie, we lie to others and we lie to God. So let me ask you this morning, where are you at? Is there someone this morning that you might need to go and be truthful with? That awkward conversation that might start when you say those words or when you act that way, this is how it makes me feel. Or is there someone here that you might have lied to that you need to go and confess and ask forgiveness from? It might be as simple as when a friend asked you, how's your uh, daily devotional time going? And you responded, fabricating the truth a little bit because you didn't want to lose faith. If you're struggling to read your Bible or pray this morning, let's be honest about that because you're not the only one. Or actually, if you're here this morning and being truthful, you're not even sure if you have a relationship personally with God. That's something to share with someone else because all growth starts with honesty. Are there areas in your life where you feel like you're hiding? God, in his grace, has a habit of bringing things out of darkness and into light. Can you see the subtlety of where the enemy has spoken over you and led you to believe his lies? We need at first to identify those lies to be able to replace them with truth. Whatever it is, as I've spoken this morning, the Holy Spirit might have gently revealed something to you. And whatever that situation might be, my encouragement is for us to have the spirit of Zacchaeus that says, let's act, let's respond and let's repent recognizing that this is a process that we will wrestle with as God molds our character because all growth starts with honesty. This is not a message of condemnation this morning, but I gently ask the question that God has been asking of me. Where do you need to grow? Our challenge is not to be content in where we're at because there's always more. Our challenge is to not run away when it gets difficult, when it gets hard. If we hear God speak to us, then our challenge is to act. Don't rush and don't delay, because if God wants to take you deep, it's because he wants to take you far. If God is doing the surgery, if he's doing the revealing, it's because he's the one who wants to bring the healing. If he gets to the root of our disease, the root of our sin, the roots of our hearts, then we will emerge a new creation. What I want you to hear this morning, our words have significant power. Our words indicate where our heart is at. When we participate in lying, we are participating in the devil who is the father of lies. We need an encounter with the truth allowing the spirit to renew us, our minds and our hearts and our attitudes, throwing off the former ways of living so that we can be new creations. This is a process. We will wrestle with this. 
but it does require action. What do I want you to do as a result of this morning? Take stock of where you're at. Be real with God. Be truthful with others. Let Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, reveal areas of growth necessary in your walk with God. Be alert to the ways of the enemy and replace his lies with God's truth. Let me end by praying. Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that your son Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that he walked this earth so that we could experience life and life in all of its fullness. Would you help us to use words that speak life? Would our words untangle other lies? Would your spirit reveal to us this morning areas of growth that might be needed? Would you help us to walk forward with you? Father, if there are lies that, we have, that have been spoken over us or that we are currently living, or if the enemy's voice is loud this morning, would you meet with us? Would we have another truth encounter, we pray? And if, Lord, if there are situations this morning that require us to act, would you give us the boldness? to be real with others, to seek your forgiveness. Because, Father, we are grateful for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.